Amen. Before you're seated, I just want to read Psalm 119. Not all of it, because there's 176 verses, but specifically at verse 81. My soul fainteth for thy salvation, but I hope in thy word. Mine eyes fell for thy word, saying, When wilt thou comfort? Anybody ever felt that way before? Verse 83, For I am become like a bottle in the smoke, yet do I not forget thy statutes. How many are the days of thy servant? When wilt thou execute judgment on them that persecute me? The proud have digged pits for me, which are not after thy law. All thy commandments are faithful. They, they, not the commandments, but they, the people that have persecuted him, they persecute me wrongfully. Help thou me. They, these people that persecuted him, had almost consumed me upon the earth. But I forsook not thy precepts. Quicken me after thy loving kindness, so shall I keep the testimony of thy mouth. For just a few moments of your time, I want to preach on this topic, the palms of God's hands. Amen. Can we pray right now? Father, you are the living word. I pray now that you would speak both your logos and rima through me. God, make my tongue the pen of a ready writer. Open our understanding that we might comprehend your scripture. Cause every hindrance to be rebuked and cast out. And bring every thought captive to the obedience of your name, Jesus. And we pray it and ask it and believe it in your name. And would you say amen? amen. You may be seated. The Lord bless you. The psalmist described a time in his life when he was almost overwhelmed. Has anybody ever felt overwhelmed? Has anybody ever felt as if you just didn't know if you could go one more day? Whoever was persecuting him and whatever the reasons are unknown. But that we do know that the psalmist asks questions that do not receive an answer. Mm. Have you ever prayed and God not responded? You ever asked God something and haven't got an answer back or, or haven't got one in the time frame you hoped to get it back? We don't know if the answer came because it's not recorded in the lyrics of this 11th stanza or at all in Psalm 119. We don't even know who the psalmist was. And so I believe God wants to minister an emotional healing today. And I've come with a burden to share the heart of God with you today. What do you do when you're overwhelmed? What do you do when you get to that place where problems and strife and issues and whatever have got you weighed down? Where do you go? To whom do you turn? And, and for just a few moments, uh, I just want to set up what God wants to say today. First of all, let me tell you, it is absolutely okay to be honest with God. Listen, there's a lot of people that, that they, they pray and, and, and it's almost as if they're trying to impress God with their you know, biblical knowledge of how many attributes or characteristics there might be of His name. You know, sometimes it doesn't matter if you know that there's 900 and however many of them. Really, all you need to know is the one true name, Jesus. 
And sometimes uh, we, we seem as if we can keep something from God as if that is possible. His eyes run to and fro in the earth. So let me just tell you straight up, it is okay to be honest with God. And the psalmist does this. He transparently describes the, the toll that this trial has taken on him. His soul fainted, he said in verse 81. His eyes failed in verse 82. And he felt like a bottle in the smoke in verse 83. The persecution so overwhelmed him that he felt like he would die. And that's in verse 87. So you can see that four of the eight verses indicate this, this weight that was upon him. And yet, despite the struggle, the psalmist hoped in God's word. Even though he didn't have an answer, he knew where it would come from when it would come. Oh, come on, somebody. Let me tell you, I can't tell you when your answer is going to come, but I can tell you where it's going to come from. Oh, hallelujah. I have had many times where people have said in my study and I don't know what to tell them and my heart grieves with them as they face their struggle and their trial. But I can tell you this. I know in whom I trust. I know where the answer will come from. I may not know when. I may not be able to tell you it'll be such and such a day. And if the Lord gives me a prophetic word, I'll definitely share it. But if He doesn't, I still know it's going to come from His word. Pastor Trevor talked about the, the, the state of the world and society that we live in. Indicated that it's only going to get worse. And the Bible does say evil seducers will wax worse and worse. Certainly scripture indicates that. But there's one thing that will never fail you. Governments will fail you. People will fail you. The economy will fail you. Come on, your bank account will fail you. Insurance companies will take advantage of you. There's all, I could keep going on. You know you got a laundry list yourself. But I can tell you this, Zephaniah 3.5, He never fails. Hallelujah. He did not forsake God's precept. He, he said, I felt like a bottle in the smoke. Now, if you're using a different translation following along or noticed, it, yours might say a wineskin. That's because a bottle in the smoke means a wineskin that had become blackened, shriveled, and was of no further use unless the vine dresser put it through a rigid process to restore it. This rigid process was to soak the old wineskin in olive oil, which would cause the skin to become once again pliable and usable. So the wineskin, the old wineskin, I want you to catch this. I'm going to put it in first gear so you get it. The old wineskin would endure a period of no wine, preparing it to receive New wine. Oh, sometimes what we're going through is not because the devil's having a heyday. Sometimes God is working some things out in our lives because He wants to bring some new wine and He knows if He puts new wine in an old wineskin, the wineskin is going to burst, the wine's going to spill out and both are going to be destroyed. But if He can take the old wineskin and make it pliable again and make it usable again. Oh, oh. 
Mm. You see, if you'll remain faithful to God's process, you'll understand His purpose and you'll be filled with His promise once again. But don't reject the process. So many times we ask God, why am I going through X, whatever X is? We need to start asking, what do you want me to learn as I go through X? The older I get, the more I love the Psalms. I love the God. Never, I'm going to repeat that, never, and I know this because I've read them all, and I've preached through 140 of them, and I've studied the remaining 10 and ready to preach them. Not saying that to brag. I've written eight volumes about them, and I'm writing a ninth. I'm not saying that to brag. I'm telling you, I've searched high and low in every translation. God never rebukes somebody for being overwhelmed and being honest about it. Never. Never. He never makes that individual feel invalidated for what they're carrying. He listens to them, hears them. He's the perfect, wonderful counselor. I've taken a few counseling classes. I've, I've got a bachelor's degree, and one of my cognates was in psychology. And one of the, the greatest takeaways I took from those classes about counseling was be a good listener. Well, the greatest counselor of all, the Holy Spirit, is a wonderful listener, and the Psalms prove it. And if you feel overwhelmed, I'm telling you, you can be honest with God today. If you feel the weight emotionally upon you, it's okay to let God know, but it's not okay to bottle it up within and isolate yourself and refuse help. It's even okay to be depressed. There's many people in this Bible that went through periods of depression, even some who had the Holy Ghost. Depression is not a sin. I'm going to say it again. Is that all right? In case you didn't hear it the first time. Depression is not a sin. Now what you do with that depression could lead to sin, but itself is not a sin. God is your helper, and He has equipped His church to bring hope and healing. So it's okay to ask God questions. That's my second point I'm going to make here. It's okay to ask God questions. It's okay to be honest with Him. It's also okay to ask Him questions. <laughs> Although the psalmist is not answered or does not share God's answers, he asks God three questions in verses 82 and 84. Here's what's notable. God does not rebuke Him for asking them, which is not surprising because in Psalm 103, verse 14, and I like how the New Living uh, Translation reads it, for he knows how weak we are, he remembers we are only dust. I mean, he's God, he's perfect, he's superior, he's sovereign, but he remembers us in our weakness. And as the New Testament says, when I am weak, then am I strong. Why? Through him. The psalmist longed for God's promise to come true. He asked, when will you comfort me? He might have been searching uh, for a personal, specific promise from God. He asks, 
How many are the days of thy servant? It might have been that he was getting older and he wanted to know how much longer he was going to live before he saw the fulfillment of this promise. Or maybe he was just asking how much longer do I have to suffer through this? He may have felt despondent because the answer had not come yet. Yet regardless of why he asked this second question, he never forsook God or His Word. He wanted deliverance, but he changed his thoughts and he trusted in God's timing. Then his third question, this may indicate in part that the promise he expected uh, from God that he wanted it to be fulfilled. He says, God, when will you execute judgment on them that persecute me? This might give us a little bit more of the other two questions. He was going through something that was weighing him down. He's like, God, when is it going to be over? When is enough enough? Trusting God to be sovereign means we trust His timing no matter what. I like how the three Hebrew boys displayed their faith in God. They said in Daniel 3.17, I didn't give you this back there, uh, Brother Mac, but they said, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. They're telling this to the king. And He will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. That's verse 17. But in the very next verse, verse 18, they say, but if not, be it known unto you, O king, we will not serve your gods. Now, some people might say, well, that's a flip-flop. And if it was a politician running for office, you know, we might you know, run with that a little bit. But Daniel wasn't flip-flopping. He wasn't, or excuse me, the three Hebrew boys weren't flip-flopping. They weren't, you know, having faith and then seeing the fire turned up seven times hotter and expressing doubt. What they were saying was this. Our faith is so strong in God that we know He can and we know He will. And even if we die in the fire, we're going to die standing up and not bowing to your idol. That's what they were saying. It was this but if not determination that no matter what happened, God was still God and God was still good. It's like the story that I heard a, a, a few years ago. A man by the name of Michael Card, he was a, a singer uh, uh, on, the, on the Christian uh, scene for a while, a contemporary Christian singer. And he wrote a song, and I don't remember the title, but it was talking about you know, a friend of his that had gone home to, to be with Jesus. And she had got sick, and, and so they were at the hospital, and they were praying for her to be healed. And they all felt this witness of the Lord come into that waiting room and tell them that everything is going to be all right. She's going to go home. And they begin to rejoice, thank God. Well, it was just a few moments later she passed. And they were despondent. They were like, God, you said she was going to be okay and go home. And, and that's when Michael Card said he realized she did go home. Just not the way they wanted. And so, but if not, faith says, God, I'm giving you my, you know, A, B, C, D. But if you want E, none of the above, you're still God. And by the way, every one of us do that. Don't kid yourself. We pray about something, and, and we try to act super spiritual like we don't, but we're like, God, you could A, do it this way, or B, if A don't work out, B could do it this way, and C is not too bad. I don't mind D. And God comes along and says, E, none of the above. I'm God. I'm going to do it my way. You're like, oh, man. But can I ask you this? Those of you that can look back, do you know that when he did it, he did a lot better than A, B, C, and D? Okay. All right, watch this. Number three, it's okay to seek help from God. Verses 85 through 88, 
he, he seeks help from God. But I want you to, I want to focus on verse 87, if you could put that up for just a minute here. Notice this. They, his persecutors, right? They had almost consumed me upon the earth. Somebody say almost. I almost went on a diet today. What does that mean? I just didn't do it. No. Let, let, me, let me get real. I'll turn around. I almost prayed this morning. I almost read my Bible today. Mm. See, we can understand almost, but almost just means it just didn't happen. In other words, when he says almost, watch what he's saying here. They almost consumed me. I got right to the very brink, if you will. But they didn't push me over. God restored me. They almost consumed me. But notice what he says in that moment. During that pressure, but I forsook not thy precepts. Even though they were cramming me in. Even though I was outnumbered. Even though I didn't know how it was all going to turn out. I did not forsake your precepts precepts is just a, a another one of the words used in psalm 119 to describe the wholeness of the will and the word of god what he was saying was i didn't forsake your word i didn't understand it i didn't know why i was being picked on i didn't know why they were coming against me oh lord but i wasn't gonna forsake your word i was seeing through a glass darkly i was wondering why she's getting blessed and he's getting his miracle but i wasn't uh, but i was hanging on to your word because i will not forsake it and that's why they didn't succeed in consuming him from the earth was because he held tightly on to the word of God praise the Lord can I tell somebody if you're praying about something don't stop praying if you're believing don't stop believing if you're submitting to God don't stop submitting keep on asking keep on seeking keep on knocking hallelujah Hallelujah. By the way, when one of us hurts, we all help to heal. And it's okay to ask for help from others too. It is. It's okay to seek help from God's church. Amen. So let me ask you, will you trust God even if He doesn't answer? If you feel overwhelmed by the trials and the trouble, will you remain committed to Him? When you face that fiery trial, will you refuse to bow like those three Hebrew boys with a but if not faith? You see, faith in God does not always mean trusting God to stop the storm, but sometimes trusting Him to strengthen you to endure the storm. And by the way, I've said this before, but it bears repeating. Crowds were always dismissed before disciples were sent to a boat that was about to go through a storm. Matthew 14 and Mark 4 both record two different events where this happened, where crowds get dismissed, but disciples. So that's why I've said before, disciples are privileged to go through storms. Ah. Oh. <laughs> The crowd didn't see him walk on water. Oh, my Lord. They heard about it. But disciples saw it. 
disciples saw him say, Peace be still. And his, his word commanded the wind and waves to cease. Mm -hmm. Oh, hallelujah. I want to be a disciple. In the hall of faith, Hebrews 11, God introduces us to those who by faith and through faith and in faith, all this preserved to, or persevered, excuse me, to the end and eventually died in faith. Some of these had achieved such things as quenching the violence of fire. That's the three Hebrew boys. Escaping the edge of the sword. But others, it says, had trials of cruel mockings and scourgings. Some were in bonds of imprisonment. That's verse 36. But notice it, it, it combines both groups back together in verse 39. It says, all these obtained a good report through faith. Even though they didn't receive the promise. And in the opening verses of Hebrews 12, the writer of Hebrews gives us instruction, that's, timeless instruction that summarizes this 11th stanza of, of Psalm 119 when he says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. In other words, lay aside those weights today that are carrying you, holding you down. If there's sin, lay them aside and look to Jesus. He's the author and finisher. That means he gets the right to end your story. But there's one more thing that God has sent me to tell you today about this psalm. Psalm 119 is a perfect Hebrew acrostic. That means that there's 22 stanzas with eight verses each correlating to the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. So the first eight is Aleph, or the Hebrew A, or what we would say is A in English. The final is Tav, or Tau, some say, which is their Z, our, would be our Z. And each one of them, then, the beginning of each of those stanzas, letters, all begin with that. And it's a way to remember things. Uh, it's a form of poetic writing. It's also where we get the word acronym from, like, you know, CIA, TCOO, etc. Uh, and so the Jews' letters have symbols as well as, of course, it's a word. And it really goes into depth of what they mean. The 11th letter of the Hebrew alphabet is the word kaf. If you've got a Bible that has it on the, on the top of verse 81, it's C-A-P-H. Uh, some write it K-A-P, but it's cough. And you can see it's, it looks like a, almost like a sideways U there. Yeah, in addition to being a word, the Hebrew alphabet is also characterized by symbols. Every letter has a different symbol associated with it. And all of these point to an attribute of Almighty God. So the symbol for cough his hands. Now I find this intriguing because when this psalmist writes these 176 verses, he could have put verse 83, put it up please, he could have put this verse in any one of the other 21 stanzas. He says, for I am become like a, means a wineskin, a wineskin in the smoke. He could have put that anywhere else. And it would have had a certain degree of power and authority. But he put it 
in the 11th stanza. And here's why. Because I see the, the hands of God taking that old wineskin and what the vine dresser would do is he would rub it on the outside and make sure everything was rubbed off. He's got that oil. Then he would reach inside and, and he would turn it inside out and, and would rub it with his palms of his hands getting every bit of the old wine out to all of the stuff that and he would soak it again and bring it up and rub it out and rub that oil in with the palms of his hands you see the devil has been lying to some of you you feel empty you feel that God's not near you 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 feel like well this one's shouting and that one's dancing and that one's crying but I'm not feeling anything and but I've come today to this pulpit to remind you that you're in the palms of his hands you might feel empty but his hands are on your life his hands are getting some things out that shouldn't be there so that he can prepare you to be filled with something new. And so it's like the song Waymaker says, even when I don't see it, you're working. Praise team, could you come? Even when I don't sense you're there. It's, it's kind of like Job. Brother A.J. Job said, Lord, I looked to the right, couldn't perceive you, and, and to the left, couldn't perceive you in front of me and behind me. Could not perceive where you were. But Job says, but I know that you know the way which I take. And when I am tried, I shall come forth as gold tried in the fire. There was a lot Job didn't know about his situation. We read the book of Job. We've heard it preached. We've, we've studied it. We know how it ends. But Job didn't. He didn't know about the conversation that Satan had had with God in heaven. All of a sudden, one day, he just loses everything. There was a lot of things, Brother Brian, that Job didn't know. But there was one thing and I, I'm sorry I don't have the verse in front of me, but it's there, trust me. But there was one thing that Job did know. In the midst of not knowing how it was going to turn out, Brother Terry, in the midst of, of his so-called friends making him feel worse, in the midst of his wife trying to get him to curse God, in the midst of the emotional trauma of losing everything, reached up Sister Jackie and he says I know that my Redeemer liveth the Bible says that Job never charged God foolishly oh I'm sure he thought it I'm sure he felt it but in the midst of his pain I believe he felt the palms of God's hands getting some things out and we know how Job ends <laughs> he has double everything he'd had before and by the way does anybody know when it happened 
I'll tell you. Pastor Kennedy, Job 42 says it was when he prayed for his friends. I believe that was the last little bit of stuff, Brother Jeff, that he had to work out. God was working out. You're, you're mad at these men because they, and, and they've not been right, but, but I don't want you angry with them. I want you to pray for them. And when he began to pray for those who had set all manner of evil against him, the Bible says God turned his captivity. Somebody here today, if you'll just realize you're in the palms of God's hands and he's taking care of you, he's getting some stuff out because he's ready to fill you up. As they sing this bridge part, I've asked them to, to start with the bridge because it, 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 it emphasizes what I'm saying to you. Sometimes we don't know when he's working. Sometimes we, we can't see it. We can't feel it. There's no goosebump. Amen. And I'm not asking you to fake it till you make it. I'm asking you to faith it until you make it today. I'm not asking you to try to get a goosebump. I'm not trying to, to rile you up emotionally and give you out a frazzle of leaving. What I'm trying to get you to do is understand you're in the palms of God's hands. And if you'll just let Him work some stuff out, He's ready to put some stuff in. Let's stand to our feet.